following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Well, I'm surprised to see you here this morning. Um, I tried to warn you last week, uh, and either you weren't paying attention or were foolish enough to come back. So this is on you from now on. I tried to tell you. (laughs) And there is lunch. It just, you know, some things just work out. Yeah. So we're continuing through 2 Peter this morning. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and that's page 1018 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, last week, we l- looked at verses 3 and 4 uh, and talked about what God has provided for believers in Jesus Christ um, with the promise that this week we would talk about what he expected from believers in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that text, uh, the whole text, First Peter uh, sorry, Second Peter 1, 3 through 9, so we can get the whole picture, and then we'll pray and jump in. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together in your name this morning to gather around your word. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak, that you would transform us as a result of studying your word together this morning. We pray, Father, this was not just be an explanation of Bible facts, but your spirit would transform us, that you would speak in power. May we each give you permission to change us, and make us more like Jesus. We we'll love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know who said it first or, or who said it at all, really, or used the illustration, but there's been a, a comparison made of the church to a ship, to a giant boat, actually two different kinds of ships. Um, and our attitude... Uh, our attitude about it determines what kind of ship it is that we think we're on as part of the church. Uh, and here's what I mean. 
when you hear verses 3 and 4 and stop there, there's a danger that you may perceive uh, the church to be the first kind of ship. So I'll read those again and, and try to explain that a little better. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Stop. Through faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you board the boat. You've been promised everything that you need for life and godliness. You have been granted God's great and very precious promises. You get to be a partaker of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. Amen. What a great sounding boat. If we're on a ship like that, it is a cruise ship for sure. Welcome to the love boat. Right. This is this is you get out your Hawaiian shirt or put on your sundress and ridiculously big hat and sunglasses and sit on the deck, sit back and relax. Soak up the sunshine. Right. Yeah, you're welcome. Now, you know, I tried to warn you about coming back here this week. All right. Our sins are washed away. Now we can just cruise and sit back and watch the waves. Now, when you're on a cruise ship, uh, so I hear, uh, you you expect to be served, right? You expect your room to be cleaned and for there to be plenty of deck chairs for you to choose from, uh, lots of food to eat. What do you have to do? Show up and eat. Yeah, just sit around. That's what you do on a cruise ship. So I hear. But the church is not like a cruise ship. The church is more like a battleship. When a sailor boards a battleship, they have responsibilities. They're expected to contribute. They're expected to serve the ship and its crew. They're expected to train so they know how to do their jobs and can do it to the best of their abilities. They're there to serve the commander. Well, if that's a church preacher, it sounds like work. Amen. That's exactly the truth. What's the main difference between the passengers of a cruise ship and the passengers of a battleship? In a cruise ship, the passengers consume. In a battleship, the passengers contribute. Now, the idea that, that God actually has expectations of his children is not popular, and it's not easy And it's not comfortable, but it's the truth. James 2, 18 and 19 says, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe that and shudder. So what is it that God actually expects from believers? 
What are the works that James was talking about? Now, to be clear, James isn't saying this is how you get saved by doing works. No, you get saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And once you are saved, that's when the works get to start. Well, Peter gives us a nice list here in 2 Peter 1. Some call this uh, the ladder of virtues because they think that each one builds on the other. Um, but in reality, this, this list is more like um, fruits on the tree of faith. Uh, if I hadn't named this sermon something already, I might have called it the seven, true, seven fruits on the tree of faith, because that's what we're going to talk about. Not that you even care what the sermon title is, because now you want to know. It's part two. God the Father has done his part and now he is expecting us to do ours his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness and so now he expects progress he expects diligence from us Really popular notions. In our family, we have a saying, when something is hard, you have to add the secret ingredient. And what is the secret ingredient? Thank you. The secret ingredient is effort. And here in our text, the Lord clearly agrees. Look at verse 5. For this very reason... The fact that you are partakers in the divine nature through faith in Jesus. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Um, Now, I want you to remember, or maybe here for the first time. First of all, that faith is not just belief. It's not just agreeing with facts. Faith means trust, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but for the direction of our whole lives, right? It's not just get saved, all set. We need to trust Jesus with the direction of our lives. Forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus gets us on the boat, right? You've just bored boarded the SS lollipop, right? But if if that's all we trust in Jesus for, we are in essence demanding that he serve us while we sit on our deck chairs, just waiting for umbrella drinks. When we trust Jesus as not only our Savior, but as our Lord, we take our orders from him, not the other way around. When you're on a cruise ship, you bark the orders. When you're on a battleship, you take orders and get to work. And that's what James meant in James chapter 2 when he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead, is what James says, which means you say you believe it, but what do you do? It's also been said that what you believe isn't what you say you believe. What you believe is what you do. How we act and what we do will not earn our salvation. 
but how we act and what we do will prove that we are saved. So Peter tells us to make every effort to supplement that faith. And he starts off with virtue. Now, the word here, supplement, um, you don't care about this, but I'm going to tell you. Um, in the Greek, this, uh, the Greek word meant to supply the, the chorus with what they needed to perform. Right? Did you get that from the English translation? It's easy. Right? Uh, uh, benefactors that did this supplying had to make sure that the, the chorus of performers in the theater had everything that they needed in order to do their part in the play, in the show. Uh, everything that they needed. So that's, that's what Peter is saying. You need to do that for your faith. You need to add everything that you need in order to work and serve and live according to the way of Christ. I should have written that down. It would have been clearer. Now you know it, and I've already forgotten it. So <clears throat> Peter tells us to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue. And what is virtue? Virtue means moral excellence. Moral excellence as described by God in his word, not by the world. You can be a great citizen according to the world and still not have virtue, not have moral excellence. The world's standards are constantly changing. What is, in, what is considered morally excellent today, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would have been considered absolute debauchery. Bad news. The world's standards change and change for the worse. God's standards don't change. They never change, and they never will. That's why he wrote them down, so we can read them and know. We are to live lives, as John Calvin put it, that are honest and rightly formed, and rightly formed by the word of God. So virtue is the first of the seven fruits of the tree of faith. And we are to add moral excellence to our faith, add that virtue, and add to that virtue knowledge. I like this one. This is knowledge of Christ and our relationship with him and our responsibilities as his disciples. We can have faith in Jesus Christ and then remain ignorant of everything else that we need to know. We can remain totally ignorant of the other fruits of this tree of faith. Just have faith and I'm all set, right? Just believe in Jesus and yes, you will enter the kingdom of God because of that. Your sins will be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. You will be unfruitful and ineffective the time that you're waiting for the cruise ship to arrive in port. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not what Jesus has asked us to do. Now, this is not just philosophical or mystical knowledge. This is practical and experiential knowledge. This is not just knowing Jesus, but knowing how to act because you know him. This is the source and the fruit of our faith. We know Jesus, and through his word, we know how we should act as followers of Jesus Christ. So the fruits of the tree of faith are virtue, knowledge, and also added to that self-control. Super popular. 
Like, why aren't there t-shirts? Self-control is my favorite. Because it isn't anybody's favorite. Self-control means to have command of one's desires and actions, of their lust and passions. (sighs) Yay! But if you think about it, self-control is what makes athletes successful. Paul uses that picture. They exercise self-control when they say no to the passions of the flesh and when they choose to eat spinach instead of pie. When they say no to binging another episode of Tiger King and go for a run instead. It's self-control that makes one person run for 24 hours straight. Crazy. I'm looking forward to your solo at the end of the service. You remember that, right? Yeah. Interpretive dance, too. Looking forward to it. Paul said that the athlete exercises self-control for a crown but a crown that fades. We exercise self-control for a crown that will never fade. Alastair Begg said that self-control is the ability to appropriately handle the pleasures of life. And while the next fruit on the tree of faith, steadfastness, is the ability to appropriately handle the problems of life. Self-control helps us control pleasures And steadfastness helps us control problems. Steadfastness is perseverance under abuse. Henry Alford said, this is not mere stoical endurance, but united to and flowing from trusting God. When things get hard, when life hands us lemons, What do you do? Throw the lemons back in life's face. That is not steadfastness. True steadfastness acknowledges that life, uh, that God is in control of life, no matter how difficult the circumstances. Now, sometimes we're quick to say, God's got this, and do so almost glibly to just, Run away from trouble. God's got I don't need to think about it. When it's true, God does have it under control. But sometimes we fire that off almost not believing it. True steadfastness is based on and born from trust in the Lord. Nothing is outside of his power and control. And God is not lacking in power. Sometimes we're just lacking in perspective. Make every effort to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness. Godliness, the next tree, the next fruit on the tree of faith. Godliness gets a bad rap, I think. Godliness, the world sees godliness right up there with uselessness, right? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? Or we confuse it, just say cleanliness is next to godliness, trying to guilt you into washing your hands, I guess. We get enough of that already. But in truth, 
Godliness is not uselessness. Godliness is intensely practical. Godliness allows the consideration of God to control the whole of life, honoring him and seeking his approval. It's not just dressing up for church on Sunday. It's not just making sure that your, your, your area is picked up. Godliness allows God to control the whole of our lives. Godliness asks the question, what does God say about whatever it is that I'm thinking about or dealing with? What is God's opinion on the subject? Do you care? Because godliness asks that question. Does God approve of this action or that action? Does God have anything to say about it at all? The answer about to that last question, does God have anything to say about it at all, is yes. Yes, he does. It might take a little of the secret ingredient to find out what it is. You might have to expend a little bit of effort. Godliness cares about what God thinks. The last two fruits on the tree of faith here go hand in hand. Brotherly affection and love. Brotherly affection, the Greek word is Philadelphia, which I find ironic if you've ever been to Philadelphia. <clears throat> Brotherly affection is a fervent, practical caring for others within the church family. Brotherly affection, it's, uh, it's Adelphoi doesn't mean brother, it means brother and sister. It's siblings, siblingly love, right? We've talked about that before. It's a very hard word to say. Um, siblingly love. It is faith in Christ and adoption by God that makes us brothers and sisters and that same faith that should motivate us to care for one another. That's brotherly affection, caring for one of those one uh, for those within the church family. I personally believe you all excel at brotherly affection. Love, on the other hand. That wasn't intended. <laughs> It's written that way. I had to read it. Love, on the other hand, the word agape is universal kindness towards everybody, desiring the highest good for others in spite of our differences, loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's what Jesus told us to do. That's what this fruit of love is, not just hearts and flowers, but practical caring for those outside of the body of Christ. Those who are not part of the church, those who do not have faith in Jesus. We should add that love towards everybody to our faith. Now these are all these are all nice, right? These are nice things. Or Peter says, be nice. We can handle that, right? Let's just close in prayer before we go any further in the scripture. Because we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's another, there's another shoe. Uh, look at verse 8. Here it comes. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
cruise ship Christianity, just kicking back and, and waiting until we get to heaven, that is ineffective, unfruitful, unfaithful. It's bad. We are not called to sit and soak. God is asking more of us. We have been given so much more than we could ever return. The attitude of all saved, all set, kick back and watch the waves roll by until we all reach heaven dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What he expects from us is progress. What he expects from us is that these qualities that we've talked about are ours and are increasing. That what is actually growing is our faith, our virtue, our knowledge, our self-control, our steadfastness, our godliness, our brotherly affection and love. Those are to be growing in us. If you're the same as you were five years ago in Christ, if you've been walking with him that long, if these qualities are yours, but are just in the bud stage, it's time to add the secret ingredient. Effort. There are things we can do to grow in these areas. The English translation of what Peter says about nearsightedness here is a little weak. We understand what nearsightedness is. I do. Right? A little bit better way of saying this is that whoever lacks these qualities has intentionally closed their eyes so that they are blind. It's not just I'm nearsighted because that's the way God made me. This is a consciously closing of our eyes to the truth. Squinting to the point where you can't see anything anymore having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins have you forgotten have you forgotten what god did for you in jesus christ what he's asking for is a little bit of effort so that you'll grow you think i'm um, i feel like i'm wading into the guilty pool guilty end of the pool here he has done so much do we not owe him our our lives One commentator wrote, the continually present sense of one's sins having been once for all forgiven is the highest stimulus to every grace. If we constantly keep in mind that we have been forgiven of every sin, that can and will stimulate us to grow in our faith, to grow in our virtue and knowledge and self-control and all the rest. And Calvin adds, though we daily sin and God daily forgives us, we ought not to let sin rule in us, but by the sanctification of the Spirit ought to prevail in us. That's what we're talking about. That's the, that's the theologian's word, sanctification. It's, it's being set apart by God for his use and growing to be more like him. But the words in the Spirit here are incredibly important because we can't do this in our own strength. If guilt were the only motivator that we needed, 
I'd preach differently. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this on our own, but we should try, and he will help. The simple fact of the matter is, not growing in these graces that Peter has described is a choice, and it's a sin. It is a choice to shut the eyes of the Spirit to that which is disagreeable. It is a choice to remain a lifelong baby Christian. To focus only on the earthly stuff that's right in front of us and not on what is the distant heavenly things. But if you're left thinking that these things are great, and I, I guess I'd like to grow at them. You say I should. I, or I'd like for this fruit to grow in my life, but I feel powerless to do anything about it. You're right. You don't. You don't have the power to do anything about it. His divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has given us everything we need to grow in grace, to grow in virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. His divine power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Even though it's difficult, I pray... Lord, that you would remind us often that our every sin has been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that would spur us on to grow in these graces. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to supply the power for us to grow. That we wouldn't shy away from effort. And say, it's just too hard to grow. It's too hard to get into your word daily. Lord, remove from us every excuse and remind us always of what you've done for us. Father, we do love you. Help us to show it. Help us to prove it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.